lights. It's seven Friday night. Welcome to the newest episode of Seven Friday Night. I'm Sports Stars Magazine editor Chase Bryson, and I'm joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, a man of the people, and a beacon of positivity. It's Ben Enos. Ben, welcome to another week. Hello, everyone in podcast land. Hello, Chase. Hello, world. Here we are. <laughs> Semi-final madness across all the land. We've got big games in the CCS. We've got big games in the NCS. We've got big games in the SJS. This week gives us the strongest argument I've seen yet for cloning myself so I can be everywhere. Well, that and there would be more of my razor sharp wit to go around for all you people. Before you turn this off and before we dive in to what's coming this week, let's take a look at what we saw last week. Here in the NCS, we had a reversal of fortune from the regular season with Cal in a game that I watched a fair part of. Thank you, Chris Babcock, Craig Bergman, and uh, company. Uh, making some really good adjustments from earlier in the year to beat Monta Vista and advance in the D1 bracket. In the CCS, you are loving life if you are a fan of the Bellarmine Bells, as Thomas DeVittorio's pick six late led the way to a win over Los Gatos. And I know it was my lock, and I think it might have been yours as well last week, but Sarah did everything but lock it up in a gritty win over Valley Christian that featured plenty of turnovers. But if we're being honest with ourselves, the game of the week was in Vacaville. And I will humbly take all the credit for badgering you into going to this game. <laughs> Can we call it the Fog Bowl? I mean, clearly we talked about weather a couple weeks too early. Now, before I turn the floor over to you to talk about Elk Grove's win over Vacaville, I want to encourage our listeners to go to sportsstarsmag.com and read the really well-written story you turned in the day after the game. Not only is it really well-written, but folks need to check out the really cool photos that you took also, because they really give you a sense of how unforgettable a night it was. With that, I yield the balance of my time for a recap of a night you will not soon forget in Vacaville. Wow, what a buildup. <laughs> I, I don't want to call it the Fog Bowl. I mean, because it wasn't like it was the only fog game of the night. I know that there were there was fog in a lot of other places. And some, some photos I saw from Modesto and from Rockland looked just as bad. So I won't I won't claim total credit for having the only the fog. But we uh, that was probably the best game I've covered this season for sure. I mean, it's hard to beat a fourth quarter with five touchdowns and four lead changes inside the final six and a half minutes in a dense fog, no less. So that was really good stuff. Uh, both teams played really well. Uh, Elk Grove quarterback Ethan Archuleta had a fantastic night running the football, and I was equally impressed with Thundering Herd senior tailbacks Zeke Burnett and Julian Davis. I was also uh, really impressed by a couple of Vacaville players too, most notably Darian Leon Guerrero, who did it both by rushing and receiving for the Bulldogs. And defensive lineman Luke Levengood was part of a, of a really good effort by the Bulldogs defense, uh, especially in the second half, because they were they were kind of on their heels in the first half, uh, and they really kind of hunkered down and gave the offense a chance to get back in the game. Now we got Monterey Trail at Elk Grove this Friday night, and that's going to be a really good football game. And I, 
I think the key will be how well Elk Grove can stop the Mustangs veer offense. Um, Jesuit runs a variation of the veer, and that game ended up 70 to 35 Marauders when Elk Grove played them. So they're going to have to make some adjustments, obviously. Thundering Herd coach John Hefferton and the staff will have their work cut out for them this week, but that's going to be a really good game for sure. If you don't end up immediately going and looking for the, this article, you'll we'll post it on our uh, episode extras and I'll I'll uh, include a couple extra photos. I got a really cool photo of, of Ethan Archuleta interviewing with his little brother Gavin sitting next to him, which I, which I really like too. And the fog's in the background. It's, it's, it's pretty neat. So yeah, you didn't have the fog, but you had a pretty good game too. Just, uh, I will echo your sentiment that it was, last week was possibly one of my favorite games of the year to have watched. It was a typically cold night in Moraga. Uh, it wasn't as cold as I've experienced up there before, but it was quite chilly. Um, and the Cougars knocked off uh, Dublin in a really good NCS D2 uh, quarterfinal. I was, you know, I was chatting with one of the Campo coaches briefly after the game, and we agreed that it really had everything you look for in a high school game. It had the drama. It had guys going in and out of the game, big scores, big stops. Um, you know, first of all, Dublin gave the Cougars everything they could handle. And again, I walked off thinking that Coach Edson had this thing pegged on, pegged early on in the season. I mean, TJ Costello is 100% one of the best two-way players in the Bay Area. Um, I thought Campo made the big plays when it had to, though. None bigger than uh, senior quarterback Adam Harper stepping in to convert a third and 14 in the third quarter when Dash Weaver had to come off with an arm injury. It also looked like Dash Weaver's right arm was going to physically fall off. Um, so for him to come back was uh, impressive. He did tell us after the game it was a funny bone hit, just a stinger. So that was good. Um, but after that third down, the Cougars got a big field goal out of that drive, then held on to the ball for the final 11 minutes and 50 seconds of the game to ice the win. Uh, you know, more than anything, the game reminded me just how good the Campo coaching staff is. We've talked about it all year long. These guys were nowhere early in the season. Eight turnovers against Aptos a loss to Liberty where the offense didn't fire yet again. But Coach Macy and his guys made some adjustments to the offense, emphasized the run, let Weaver settle into a groove, and now they're to the point where they knew Dublin was going to stack the box to stop the run. They were able to ask Weaver and Robbie Mascaroni to carry the load, and the two responded with, with a huge night. So, yeah, it was just a really good night of high school football in, in Moraga. You mentioned that there was kind of a really cool coach-to-coach -coach moment after the game too, right? There was. I'm glad you reminded me of that. Uh, I was talking to Kevin Macy after the game, and Dublin basketball coach Tom Costello uh, broke in for a minute just to congratulate Coach Macy on the job that they had done and, and how Campo had performed. And he, he flat out said, I don't know anything about high school football, but I know that you guys are doing it right. And he goes, you know, my, my son is number five. And Coach Macy just went, oh, <laughs> he's the man, you know, because he, <laughs> he was, he was, he was everything. And so um, just, we have a lot of uh, affection and respect for Coach Costello and moments like that uh, where to put it in sports cliche terms where game recognizes game. It's, uh, it's fun to see that because, you know, Dublin was a good team this year. I saw him twice this year. I'd take that team. Uh, a lot of nights and I just happened to see him lose twice this year. So maybe I was the problem, <laughs> but 
You know, we're, we're going to get uh, our big topic for this week is we're going to talk about bracketing because that is the hot topic here in Northern California. Um, but for the proponents of playoffs based purely on competitive equity, I offer to you this week a prime case study. You know, I've seen both Camp Lindo and San Ramon Valley. And from a physical standpoint, San Ramon Valley should win this game. They are much bigger and more physical because they're a D1 team masquerading as a D2 team. <laughs> Can Campo win? Absolutely. No question about it. They're well coached. They have good players. And, but, you know, you know how I hate to, and you do as well, play into the underdog theme that Coach Macy likes to use. But I really do think SRB's size makes the Wolves the favorite this week. We're, we're going to see how it goes. But when you're, when, as we jump into this conversation about bracketing, that is going to be a game to watch because Camp Alindo has always been one of those in-between schools where based on competitive equity, they should be playing the heavyweights and based on enrollment and just the size of their guys, the, by the eye test, they really shouldn't. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as I said, we need to get into this bracket debate a little. And I, I first want to say that the NCS should be applauded for trying to get this thing right. I'm seeing them taking the, the slings and arrows this week. They are trying. And I have not been able to say that every year of my career. Uh, I'm not solely a proponent of the CCS SoCal models where everything is based on computer ratings. Let's say you put the eight best teams in D1 this year. You and I were talking about this the other day. Who's going to be the sacrificial lamb against De La Salle? which really good D3 school is going to have to line up against Pittsburgh? Like, are, are you taking your team into those places to, to line up against De La Salle if you're a Marine Catholic? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> I, I know. The North Coast section has had their issues in the past. We know that. You just mentioned it. We had 16 man brackets and, you know, you were getting, you were getting blowouts in the first two rounds. Um, and so, what they're doing, I think what they're doing is take their, the re reduction of brackets is a really good, um, is a really good step. And I think it's important to note that the NCS does use competitive equity within its enrollment based divisions. The model is currently set up as enrollment divisions with competitive equity adjustments for certain programs that prove dominant against teams of similar enrollment numbers, but competitive equity bumps for teams sometimes seem to take too long to develop. A successful team is only bumped after it shows repeated success over a three-year period. And I think the next tweak to this process might be to act on promoting those programs sooner. I might suggest if a team wins a championship in a certain division, it's immediately subject to promotion the following year, but not to guarantee that. So let's say there's a hypothetical year where Camp Lindo wins the Division Three title. My thinking is that they would begin the season in Division Three but are subject to a bump to division two based on their performance that season. If they go nine and one and win their league, the seating committee puts them in division two. If they finish seven and three and maybe go zero and three against division two teams on their schedule, then they stay in division three. The idea would be to create the flexibility and act on it if needed. But I I'm with you. I don't think really close first round games needs to be the goal of section playoffs. The, the goal is to have your best teams playing in the bracket at the end, you know, for championships and in semifinals, those games should be close, right? You don't have to necessarily have to have close first round games to be an effective bracket. hundred percent agree. And let's call a spade a spade. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. What is the one thing the CCS 
and the SJS don't have. <laughs> they don't sell. It is the big green machine. And we talked about this with Coach Edson last week. Those sections can say, let's put our eight best teams in a bracket and have them duke it out. But for 30 years, if you would have done that in the NCS, the best team, and, and for a long time they did because the best teams were all in Division One, And those best teams, just ask Pittsburgh, uh, have lost every single year. So, yeah, it's going to, at some point, they will lose to an NCS team, of course, but it hasn't happened for 30 years. So I'm not going to bet on it happening, you know, tomorrow um, until it actually happens. Um, the other point that I would make, is all the this discussion is I, I feel it's being framed wrong we're talking about competitive equity and to be honest talking solely about competition misses the point i sat in the meetings a decade ago you sat in the meetings a decade ago when the ncs tried to come up with a hybrid model for the first time these games are educational based competitions not monday night football there has to be a melding of the two and simply seeding teams based on how a computer tells us to is missing the larger point. Not even the NCAA does that for March Madness, I will point out. There's still an eye test. There's still selections being made. So there's always going to be a human element, but there also has to be a refocusing of the conversation on this as an education-based activity and not just, you know, who can we get to play modern day at the end of this whole thing you know yep yeah no i'm on the same page it, it only comes up in the first round anyways no one's no one I mean, that's that's just the funny part to me is everyone worries about the first round scores but if you have the right i mean if you have the right semifinal matchups and the right championship games no one's talking no one's talking about after this week i i mentioned to you that i i think it's I think it's funny that North Coast section is taking bullets in the first year that it's actually trying to correct something. So um, let's just give them a little more time. And I think we'll be fine. I think they're going to get there. And I think you just have to trust the process. Whoa. Trust the process. Yep. You trust the process. I'm going to trust the science, my man. <laughs> so let's go ahead and focus on this week. Then this week, we're going to have some great games and we already, we already know this. So uh, semifinals everywhere. One championship game, which we're going to talk a lot about later. Um, but here, let's let's do one quick fill the gap before we jump into the rest of the program. I'm going to ask you this. The number one seed you'd consider to be the most in danger this week is? Mm, this is tough. This is tough uh, because I, I, as we've established throughout however many weeks we've done this, I'm, I like to bet on the chalk. Um <laughs> I'm going to say San Ramon Valley, and it's a contradiction, um, but it's because I believe that Campolindo will be prepared. Uh, I will turn the question on you. Who do you think is the number one seed you'd most consider in danger this week? You know what? I, I think I'm going to go into the, the Division I uh, Sac Joaquin bracket, and I'm going to say Rockland. I'm going to say Whoa. Rockland, only because I know the type of talent that St. Mary Stockton has. And when they play their best game, they can certainly beat anybody. I'll throw, I'll throw that one out there. I'll say Rockland is in I'm, danger. I'm not saying they're going to lose, but they're in danger. I'm glad you said that because it, whereas I tried to get as weird as possible in picks last week, this week I have put on my thinking cap and I have analysis. I have numbers prepared and I will be picking that game later. And you will hear why I disagree with you. 
Fantastic. Uh, before we get to that, as we've alluded to, uh, we are very pleased to be joined by a longtime uh, friend of ours and friend of the show, friend of all the things that we have done, both ridiculous and serious through the years. Uh, De La Salle head coach Justin Allenbaugh joins us this week uh, to talk uh, about where De La Salle is in the process of evolving, as they always do every year. Uh, what they expect to see this week with Pittsburgh, their arch nemesis, uh, standing across the field at Owen Owens Field, and a little bit of uh, back and forth about what life after Coach Terry Edson has been like. So <laughs> without uh, further ado, let's tune in to our conversation with De La Salle head coach, Justin Alabaugh. Ben and I would now like to welcome to the program a coach we've known and respected for many years. His De La Salle Spartans will play for their 29th consecutive North Coast Section crown this Friday when they host Pittsburgh for the Open Division Final. It's Coach Justin Allenbaugh. Welcome, Coach. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Chase, I've seen you a little bit, Ben. I've only been hearing your voice, and I'm sorry that both of you have to deal with Edson on a weekly basis, but now you guys get a little taste of what I have every day of my adult life. <laughs> Chase didn't really market it appropriately to me when he said, oh, yeah, we're going to have Coach Edson on every week. It's going to be great. <laughs> it's that always actually, a fun time with him. <laughs> that actually leads us leads me to, to my first question. You've known and coached with him for so long, and we know you see each other every day on campus and still routinely talk football. But we're wondering what it is that you miss most about him not being around the day-to-day -day team activities and on game nights. Well, I'll start with what I don't miss most, and that's him <laughs> That's him yelling at me all of the time. Literally all of the time yelling at me. The, the one game that I coached from my couch for the pandemic, you know, I, I, I tested positive for COVID. Thankfully, no, uh, thankfully vaccinated and no issues and I wasn't ill or anything like that. But I was on a headset, and I could hear him yelling at me through the headsets that the coaches were wearing. <laughs> Just run the ball, Alabach. Quit throwing all, the, all of this stuff. Uh, so I don't miss getting yelled at for any play call that he was uh, that he didn't like, which happened frequently. And I can I can attest that Coach Latticer had the same experience. But no, in all seriousness, Terry's a wealth of knowledge, and he's he knows football, and he knows kids, and he knows coaching. And uh, not having him, not having him out there on a day-to-day -day basis, um, it's definitely impacted us. And Coach Kenyon, our defensive coordinator, has done an incredible job. But Coach Hudson, man, he got he had forty notches under the belt. That's forty years of coaching, and you know that's a <clears throat> that's a lot of years. That's a lot of experience. And what it is is also a lot of a lot of the day-to-day -day grind and a lot of the day-to-day -day activity and interaction with with young men. And you know he's an expert on those subjects. And luckily we still have him around. I still, he's one of my closest friends. I still talk to him all the time, whether it's a random hockey parlay or a horse that's racing. <laughs> a bunch of my best friends actually bought a horse with him and his dad, Eddie and the King. You got to ask him about Eddie and the King. Now we still talk. I see him every day and we still talk every day and he, he still has insights and uh, we miss him out there. And it's, it's always a lot more lively and, and more fun when he's out there, but also simultaneously a lot more aggravating. <laughs> I'm wondering, is, since you are around him every day, did you did you concoct this COVID-19 week off to, because you were sensing that he was sad? He, <laughs> he, he needed to come back? 
it was it was neat right uh right after i tested positive i got a call i got a call from terry and i was actually just about to call him he goes hey uh you know i don't really like doing this i don't want to step on any toes but you think maybe uh you think maybe i should be on the sideline to just you know help the guys in case there's any questions or anything like that. i was like and i told him i was like i was actually uh i was actually going to call you terry and you know, see if you could do that. I was literally about to dial the phone. He goes, all right, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he had fun, man. He had a blast. And I was watching the live. I had a live stream that our incredible tech department was able to set up. It was awesome. And I saw him ranting and raving on the sideline. And oh, man, he, he was stoked. And then uh, I talked to him. I was like, Terry, you can come on the sideline the following week. You know, I'm, I'm back, but you can be there. He goes, no, I'm tired. That was exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> we get that every week after recording. Um, well, uh, all kidding aside, uh, you know, something we'll, we'll turn our attention to uh, football, something we used to talk a lot about with Coach Ladd and to agree to a degree with you as well is about how each Spartans team every single year forges its own identity. It's always been a contributing factor to De La Salle teams consistently playing their best football in November and December. So my question for you is how has the identity of this team evolved this year? Because you have seen, you know, as you have in past years, your share of speed bumps along the way. That's a good question, Ben. And that's actually, that was the, that was the topic of our weekly meeting, our team meeting that we have after dinner on Thursday nights. That was the topic of, of the, of the team dinner last week about, you know, especially the seniors kind of forging their own, you know, their own path and really writing the story that they, that they want to have written, you know, that there there's been, you know, that loss to St. Francis hanging over their head. They hear about it on a daily basis. And I told them they were going to hear about it on a daily basis. I hear about it on a daily basis and, you know, but that's not the end of their story. And um, this group, you know, it, it's been a strange couple of years for everybody, but it's also been a very challenging, you know, couple of years for the youth. Um, and, you know, we didn't really have an off season and, you know, we've been trying to get this unit to come together and get them to really understand the nuts and bolts of accountability and discipline and toughness. And, you know, their efforts matter, how they behave in class matters, how they treat one another and those around them, all those things matter. Obviously how we play football matters too, but we're always, looking at the day-to-day, -day, the day-to-day -day impact that we're making and our efforts on a daily basis. And, you know, the results kind of fall in line if we do those little things well. I knew we were going to have trouble against St. Against Francis. Um, we intentionally, on Labor Day, Labor Day is for labor at De La Salle, and we intentionally do an early morning practice on Labor Day. And I knew we were in trouble as we had a couple kids late, which means they didn't get to play, and uh, our practice stunk, man. It was just bad. They didn't have energy. They, we were just lacking that toughness that you need to go against a great team like St. Francis. And it showed on Friday night. They didn't hang their heads. You know, they haven't been sad sacking or anything like that. We got a lot of young guys playing. We got a lot of seniors that are trying to, you know, provide a leadership role. I'm proud of this group. I'm happy with how we're rounding into form. Uh, you know, we still have things that we have to short, but every, every team does. Uh, they're a good group of kids. They're a good group of young men. And they're responding, they're responding to the coaching and they're responding to all the things that we've needed to do. They're taking ownership of their season. So I'm happy with where we are right now. And our practices are way better. The distractions have gone down and, you know, they're rounding into what we would normally see from a Dallas Al team. It took a little, it took a little more time, but right where we are right now, I'm pretty pleased with. And, 
you know, I, I want this, I want this season to continue on. So I can kind of see what this team ultimately is made of and, you know, what their total product and their final product is going to be and see what, you know, see what story our seniors can, can, you know, write for themselves. We will uh, get to the opponent and the, the matchup here in just a bit, but on last week's show, uh, Ben, Coach Edson, and I talked about the new way in which the section is going about handling the Open and Division I playoffs. What are your thoughts on the current system that debuted this season, which is building the Open Championship into the Division I field and allowing for the Open runner-up to play for the D1 title? Is it something that you think is good and that, you, that might stick? What are your thoughts? I think we got to see how it plays out. Um, I'm not trying to play coy. I, I always like creativity trying to make the system better. Uh, I'm always for that. Uh, if I'm being totally honest, I think I like the CCS model of the competitive equity. Uh, I'm just, you know, I might get in trouble, but I'm just being honest. Um, the, I, I don't, I don't dislike um, what they're trying to do, what the NCS is doing with this. I like that they have some creativity with it. Either us or Pitt is going to have an opportunity to go on. And uh, I, I think that's a positive based on the history that we, you know, that, that our section has had. I'm in favor of it. Um, I'm in I'm also in favor of some more changes. I think we can kind of get a little bit more creative moving forward. And, you know, we have a great commissioner. We have a great, a great team that's open to, you know, making some changes. So, you know, I'm confident that things will continue to move in the right direction. I think this has been, I think that this has been a positive though. Um, and talking to other coaches, I, I think there's a lot of people in favor of it. And in that regard, I am too. Well, we could set up any kind of structure, any kind of bracket and chances were that this week's matchup would have happened anyway. So uh, it's a familiar opponent coming to Owen Owens Field this week. The creator of the game saver ball warmer, Coach Galley and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, what are your good knowledge on the game saver ball warmer, by the way? You know, that saved us in one of our NCS games. It was pouring, man. <laughs> that thing on the sideline, it helped us. Veteran reporters will know that if they are covering a Pittsburgh game that's cold, they stand next to the ball warmer. Mm -hmm. um, well, they're, uh, they're bringing a, a strong team, as always, into uh, this week's contest. What are your impressions of this year's Pittsburgh squad, and how far have they come uh, on film to you since you saw them back in August? They've come a long way, uh, and they're a great team. And, yeah, very familiar opponent, very familiar opponent. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were looking at this matchup, you know, potentially happening. And, there's a lot of excitement and there should be a lot of excitement. You know, we're rounding into it. We're rounding into a really good team and they're a really good team. Uh, you know, they only have one loss and that's to Folsom and we have the fill. I've watched a lot of film on Pitt and uh, we've seen them pretty extensively. And, you know, something that's like a lot of people kind of look at like, well, Dillisau beat Folsom, Folsom beat Pitt. You don't slide two pieces of paper with results across the table and, you know, have that matchup kind of dictate the game. And uh, I think a lot of people need to understand what was going on too. That was Pitt's first game. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was Folsom's third game. That was Pitt's first game because of a couple cancellations and things getting moved around. And you could tell it was their first game. You know, they had some uncharacteristic mistakes and they had some, they had mistakes that you would see from every team playing their, every high school team playing their first game. And it was a tight matchup against Folsom. The final score made it look a little bit more spread out than it was. Pitt had a huge chance right before the half to take the lead and they were doing, they were moving the ball pretty much at will. And they were doing things to create some problems for Folsom's offense. And then, you know, the, the subsequent games that we've been watching, it's concerning. They're really good. You know, yeah. When you line up, 
you know, four or five receivers that they have. They got a great running back. Obviously, they have a, a highly touted and deservedly so quarterback. They have a physical offensive line that does a good job. And then, you know, their defense is always aggressive. They always tackle well, which is which you don't see a lot in, in high school football. Pitt is always a good tackling team. Uh, Charlie Ramirez, their defensive coordinator, does a great job with those guys. They're they're physical. They're they're always fast, and um, something that's lost on a lot on a lot of uh, on a lot of people, especially around high school football. When you have a team that's that that plays aggressive defense, they, that also tackles well. That creates you know that creates a problem. So uh, what I see is a really good high school team, and it should be a good matchup. It's it's concerning watching them, but it's also exciting because you know this is why we put in the work that we do. I know our kids are excited. I know Pitt's excited too. I talked to Vic yesterday and. Uh, we had a fun conversation and he loves talking about uniforms and flash and ball warmers. And uh, <laughs> I hadn't even thought about a uniform or anything like that, but no, we got a great relationship with Vic. So they're excited. We're excited. It's a great matchup. It's what you, is what you want to be seeing this time of year. Please spill the beans for the listeners at home. Will Pittsburgh be going orange on orange Friday night? Hey man, I don't want to. You're gonna. I don't want to steal Vic's thunder. He's All right. a, friend, he's a we'll, friend of ours. We'll call Coach Jolly, and we will find out. I will find out. But let's just say you're, you're getting pretty. You're getting pretty dang close to what Vic's thinking. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I am curious about, having followed the trajectory of the season this year, and Chase and I talked about this a little early in the season, is the amount of institutional knowledge that perhaps left the sideline with some of your veteran coaches who. Uh, either left the program, retired, moved, whatever, before the season. I want to get your take on how the guys who have filled those roles, and specifically Coach Kenyon, because I saw your quotes early in the year about how good a job he was doing in taking over that defense. How have they left their mark or made their mark on this program, and how are they influencing this group this year? Because Chase and I have seen this machine at work over the years. It's not a top-down approach at De La Salle. It's a collective. It's absolutely a collective. And, you know, we we did. There, there was, I think it's 160 or 170 years of coaching experience that in the last handful of years, you know, we've lost. Coach Bonella, our offensive coordinator, moved to Tennessee. Coach Crespi, some people that a lot of people probably didn't uh, know about, but, you know, he'd coached for a long time, moved to North Carolina, obviously – Coach Edson, Coach Aliotti, Coach Ladd's been gone for a little while now, but you know, you, you have that accumulation of knowledge. It's impossible not to have an impact. I mean, there's that's a lot of years, and that's a lot of that's a lot of years coaching together as well. And uh, you know, the, the impact of that, you know, is important, and it's something that's important to talk about. Uh, but I'm very, very proud of the group that we have right now. Those guys have responded. Nate Kenyon, you know, he's. He's a De La Salle grad. I've coached with him for, I think, 15 years, 16 years, somewhere along those lines. And uh, first of all, he's a great man and uh, he's very thoughtful and he grinds. He, he puts in a ton of hours. He puts a ton of work. He's got four little kids, too. I don't know how he does it. His wife's his wife's a saint. And, you know, we had that St. Francis game. A lot of people are like, ah, this wouldn't have happened with Terry. I go, you guys, need, you guys need to slow your roll a little bit. There's been year. I love Terry. There's been Bellarmine. There's plenty of times that a lot of things yeah. that a lot of things happen. Nate's doing a great job. I'm really proud of him. And you know what else? I'm really lucky to have him coaching here. He could be coaching in college. There's a lot of places. He's very talented. He's very gifted. And just like anybody else, I know what it was like uh, to take over for somebody. I think I have some pretty good knowledge in that regard. <laughs> I took over for somebody that 
might be known around around high school football parts. And uh, it's not easy to just, you know, come in and you haven't, you know, Nate had a lot of experience coaching, but until you're in that specific position, it's impossible to know exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. Just like there's, you can't diminish the impact of all those years of uh, coaching experience that we lost. You also can't diminish the impact of, there's a lot of freshness too. You know, Nate's not Terry and Terry's not Nate. And Greg Brown Davis is, uh, you know, he's an alum and he's coaching our linebackers. And I used to coach our linebackers for years. Devin Noni's is in there. Obviously we have Blake Tuffley who's been here for a long time. I, I brought up our JV head coach, Paul Grania. He's, he's an alum and, you know, we, and Steve Jacoby has been here forever. And it's, there's been a, there's been some freshness too. And there's been an openness. And that, I think a lot of that comes from Nate. Nate is a very open-minded, thoughtful man. And our entire group, we're all kind of co-head coaches and, you know, we, <clears throat> we collaborate and, Nate especially brings a lot of that mentality. He brings a lot of ideas about how a team could be run and should be run. And his ideas are fresh. You know, he has his own unique perspective and it's, and it's, it's kind of, uh, it's invigorating in that regard, you know, to, to have that sort of, uh, that sort of mindset. It is game week and there's nothing better than a Pittsburgh De La Salle game week, Friday night, seven o'clock at Owen Owens Field. Coach Allenbaugh, as always, thank you for taking some time to answer our silly questions, and we will see you on Friday night. Thanks for all the work, gentlemen. You guys are doing a great – I listen every week. <laughs> you That's guys, awesome. It's classic, man. You guys are doing a great job and bringing attention to, to young men and women that deserve it. So congratulations, and thanks for the work you're doing. All right. Thank you. And now we're going to take a quick timeout for a quick message from Sports Stars Magazine's podcast partner, the California Army National Guard. We understand an upside down world, but they're writing us off before we get to the starting line. A stalled generation? Who do you think is gonna fix all this? We will, because our future is the future. The next greatest generation is now. Visit nationalguard.com to find out more. And now, back to the show. Well, that conversation was about as good as I expected it to be. I knew Coach Allen Ball would bring the fire and, uh, I knew he'd take a couple punches at Terry, so I think we came up we came up all sevens on that interview right there. So, uh, speaking of uh, of Coach Edson, let's uh, let's bring the old ball coach in, and uh, we'll let him see if he wants to punch back at Coach Allenbaugh, or maybe say a couple of nice things about him. Let's bring on the old ball coach and hear what he has to say this week. Well, we're back for another week of uh, talking football with Coach Terry Edson, the third member of our crew. And Coach uh, has not escaped our notice that perhaps there's a significant football game on your campus this week. So uh, I am compelled to ask, have you bought your digital ticket yet? No, Ben, I, I just walk on the field and they let me ride on. That's the one great perk I have. I can walk into Owen Owen Stadium park where I want and get on the field for free. So I think at least I've earned that along the way. So it's pretty nice. So we had a fun chat with Coach Allenbaugh this afternoon to talk about the Spartan, this Spartans team's journey. And of course the matchup with Pittsburgh and incredibly, it, it, I started after we finished, I started counting it up and it's in next season is going to be his 10th leaving the program, which is crazy to me that it's been that long already. So it's been a long time since you've probably been asked this question because because it's been that long. But of all the extremely successful coaches, you and Coach Lattice are mentored over the years, three of which have programs ranked among the NorCal's best this season. What do you think specifically made Justin the best fit to be Lad's successor? And and 
Second question, was there ever a point where you, you thought that might be something that you would want? Yeah, that, that's a good question. You know, uh, people have asked me that before. And um, I think as when, when the time that, by the time Lad re, uh, retired, um, which was, what, what year did he retire? 20, after the 2012 season. So 2013, right? So about eight years ago. So at that point, I had over 30 years in coaching. And um, to me, it was like, okay, um, as I'm getting older, do I want to work harder? Or <laughs> do I want to <laughs> just continue on the way things are going? And, uh, you know, uh, really the job that opened up that I really loved was, you know, the golf job opened up. And that's I could be a head coach, but not have half the stress, uh, as it turned out. So I just didn't see the, the point of me uh, taking it all on when I felt that to have just to keep Justin on campus, because if he wasn't going to be a head coach here, he was going to be a head coach somewhere else. He was getting offers from other schools and all that. And, and the way, you know, he, Bob and Justin have always kind of, when I was coaching with them, has always kind of treated me as kind of a co-head coach anyway. So I had the best of both worlds. And it was, to me, it was like a no-brainer because I wanted to keep him on this campus. I thought that was the best um, situation for the program. The coaching here, it has always been a team effort. So being the head coach, you know, I just didn't think it, I needed to do that. And I wanted to keep him here, not only as um, a head coach, but he's also a great educator. I mean, that's something people in high school don't understand because it's so much different than college and pro, right? I mean, Coach Latticer and Coach Allenbar are two of the finest uh, teachers we've ever had on this campus in the classroom. I think you're selling your head coaching career short. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were the head coach of the De La Salle bowling team. <laughs> no, I was the head moderator, Ben. That's a uh -huh. word, okay? That was moderator, okay? Um, but uh, the other side of his question, though, uh, you know, why Justin? And, um, you know, Bob and I knew, you know, he was, uh, and I'm sure people have heard this before, he was a coach on the field in high school. I mean, he devoured our scouting reports. He knew the team, I think, as, as well as they knew themselves. We, we could just see, see, you know, first of all, we knew wholeheartedly. He knew, understood the, the mission of our football program and what we wanted to accomplish at Delisal. And he was passionate about the game, but he's also super smart, too. And to be a head football coach in high school, you have to know every position. I mean, you have, you have to know something. You have to be able to coach every position. And, you know, he first of all, he, he's, he's actually a great line coach. And, you know, people don't know remember that about him. He's a great line coach. He's got a great defensive mind. And uh, obviously with his offense, he's doing really well offensively too. So he understands the game really well. You know, he was the right man for the job. There is no doubt in Coach Ladd in, in our mind about that. You are in a unique position to answer this next question. What was the main difference in coaching with Bob Latticer and Justin Allenbaugh as a head coach? <laughs> well, in a sense of, uh, you know, uh, Bob is, uh, I, I would say, here's the main difference is, Bob was not a multitasker. 
uh, Justin is definitely a multitasker, but in a sense of on the field, uh, which surprised me because he's a defense, he's my defensive guy at starting out though. It's still always offensive practice over defensive practice. No matter what they try to say, they always make offense always gets more time to defense. So that never changed. My favorite thing with Lad would be, especially back in the day, we, you know, we, the rules have changed since then and for the better, by the way. But we'd be banging offense for like an hour and 10 minutes. And the kids would just be spent. And I go, uh, are we going to run any defense today? And he go, yeah, you give him a break and go, go on, run as much as you want. I go, oh, yeah, when they're totally exhausted. Yeah, let's run defense now. Woo! Yeah, so uh, Justin's not quite that bad. He's definitely got a little bit more of a practice plan than Bob did. Uh, he wasn't a big practice plan guy, which is amazing for a guy that's successful as him. But uh, we lad, they both kind of coach the same way, though, in the sense of, you know, they hire good assistants, you know, do your job. And uh, I'll see you back here in 20 minutes type of things. <laughs> They're both very good. But they're both both of them were um knew the game all aspects of the game really well that is the one thing that stayed the same they both understood uh the game so um that was one thing that was really a smooth transition all right well we will move on to picks and we will spare you from having to pick this game this week um I think you uh I don't know what the answer would be. <laughs> who was he gonna I pick? I, I really don't want to talk against my fantasy partner. So yeah. <laughs> okay. A draw. It's a draw. Yeah, it's gonna go a on draw, yeah. tie. Yeah. Okay. Uh I think you had another week where you went one and two, but both losses were by less than a touchdown. Yeah, you wouldn't be bitter about that, would man. you? Where, where's the I talked about the importance of defense and then there's the defense. I don't understand. Oh, this modern game's driving me crazy. No doubt about it. Like you said, they're high school kids. One week, <laughs> one week's the next, right? You never know. Yeah, but I was close to get. I've been so close all year. It's really, all right, but I'm ready to go. All right, let's start in the Sacramento session this week. It's a Division One semifinal where St. Mary Stockton takes his ten-game winning streak to Rockland to face the undefeated Thunder. A really good football team season's going to end in this one. Which yeah. do you think it will be? Yeah, that's a, it's a tough game, but I think Rockland, like uh, we always say, you're undefeated for a reason. Although I, I love uh, the St. Mary staff and, and what they do over there, but games at Rockland, it's a big game. Like I said, it's hard for me to pick against an undefeated team ever. So uh, as much as I hate to go against my Catholic school brother here, I'm going to have to pick Rockland in this one. Well, let's, uh, let's bring it back to the NCS here. NCS Division II semifinal, number one seeded San Ramon Valley against number four Camp Lindo. I saw Camp Lindo last week, and first things first, credit to you, the rolling ball of butcher knives, Mr. <laughs> TJ Costello, was a man on Friday night. They handed it off to him. They passed it to him. He played linebacker. The dude was literally everywhere. See, give me some film. I can find things out. Okay. You, you got that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. So, um, but, uh, right. but Campo came out on top and uh, it was a real good, really good football, high school football game. Had a little bit of everything, but they're playing a San Ramon team that I was telling Chase Friday night is simply going to be bigger than Campo Lindo right. across the field. So uh, it's a 
camp traditional campo team they've gotten better against a big san ramon valley team who you got oh yeah coach macy you know you know we kept remember in the year i kept saying you know camp lindo you know, it's got to turn around because, uh, you know, coaching matters, no doubt about it. And Coach Macy did get him turned around. But, I, you know, this is one of those situations, that, you know, and no uh, slight to Campbell, but Sarah Moans just had to play a tougher schedule. And I think they're a little bit on the, that it was a huge win against Monta Vista. I think they're kind of on a roll now. And um, I, I just think preseason regular season you know ceremonies just had to play tougher teams i think that always makes a huge difference going to go into my next pick in the next game too but i, I just think ceremony is just they're they're it's going to be you know it's a good game you gave me a great game to pick but i just think uh the physicality is just going to make a difference in this game so i'm going to go ceremony yeah all right we'll go one more section over central coast session where st ignatius is traveling to Wilcox for a very enticing Division II semifinal. The Wildcats are coming off a 28-0 shutout of Palma that really turned some heads last week. Meanwhile, right. Wilcox has quietly won six straight since losing its De Anza League opener to Los Gatos in late September. What do you got? So I, I think this is another one of those uh, picks where you have to look at it. Um, who's played the tougher schedule? St. Ignatius is battle-tested, and uh, not that Wilcox isn't, but, you know, that WCL, I mean, come on. In my own uh, unbiased opinion, that's the toughest league in uh, Northern California this year is the WCL. So it's tough for uh, someone that works for the Christian Brothers to pick a Jesuit. I'm going to have to do that and go to St. Ignatius on this one. Just off the fact that they're, they're battle-tested, I think they'll be ready to go. And that was, I thought it was a really nice win against Palma, 28 nothing. Yeah. So once again, they've got a little bit of momentum going into this game. Well, we will uh, we'll wrap it up here. But uh, as Chase mentioned, we did have a chance to talk with Coach Allen Ball. And in between his uh, describing to us how there was less yelling at De La Salle practices these days, um, he also gave you us. Want, some... You want practice to be like you're at the library? Oh, <laughs> he he gave us some inside intel on uh, something away from football that I feel compelled to ask you about. Uh, can you please tell me about the existence of Eddie the King? Eddie and the King. <laughs> Eddie and the King still running, Ben. So my dad. Uh... Went to the sale with uh, Steve Coach Emilio, former De La Salle basketball coach, and back again, uh, head DVC basketball coach, and back again as a consultant in the basketball program here at De La Salle. So they went to the Pleasanton uh, sale. Uh, I don't know what year that was. Jeez, maybe 2016. And uh, he bought this horse. I forget the size. It's something, Eddie. And Steve's uh, nickname for my dad was always the king. They always be at Golden Gate Fields up at up in the turf club where his uh, table was. So we thought Eddie in uh, the king would be a, a great name for a horse. So we named the horse. And then um, I talked to a couple of Allen Boss friends that he had from college. And so they had, they'd had a horse before named Dr. J JJ. And he was, he was just okay. <laughs> and, uh, I said, hey, if you guys want to get involved in horse racing here, we could get a little consortium here. So my dad was in his late 80s, you know, or no, he's probably almost 90 then. So 
I was in charge of the day-to-day -day activity, uh, making sure the bills got paid and all that. And uh, um, Steve uh, Sherman was our trainer. You know, his dad had just coming off uh, Art Sherman with uh, California Chrome. He's a great, he's a great guy. Always took my phone calls and gave us updates. And he was, he's a great trainer. And we had a horse going there at Golden Gate Fields and he had a good, decent three-year-old year. And, kind of hurt his knee a little bit. We had to have a little surgery, he came back and, um, you know, he was a serviceable uh, claiming horse that eventually got claimed out of Golden Gate Fields. And now he's in the Pacific Northwest, uh, you know, running for like $2,500 claiming races. But uh, he gave us some thrills, good old Eddie and the King. He won some races for us and it, it was fun. Awesome. Out of the uh, out of the sire square, Eddie, maybe square Eddie. Yes, thank you, thank you. I should have remembered that, but you kind of surprised me with that question. So uh, <laughs> we, I was not prepared. But, we try to keep people on their yeah, toes. That was that was a fun horse. There's one major problem that happened with me being involved is that um, my wife saw the monthly bills and all that, so I won't be owning a racehorse anytime soon. <laughs> Is one of my dreams, but that maybe in my, as I get into retirement, I might be able to swing it. But right now, that is an absolute no go on uh, owning a resource. So there you go. So. And now we know why Coach Edson is still employed. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yes. All right, Coach. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Well, that wraps up another illuminating uh, conversation with Coach Edson. I will be doing my homework on Eddie the King. But in the meantime, Man, it's time for picks, and this uh, things are not getting any easier for us. The slate this week is just a bear, and why wouldn't it be? It is a heck of a time to be watching high school football in Northern California. So let's uh, break down the games that we will choose from, starting in the CCS with the number one ranked team in all the land, St. Francis, hosting Menlo Atherton. Uh, back here at home, we've talked about this extensively already. De La Salle will host Pittsburgh in a championship game that is in semifinal weekend. Uh, going further north, Rockland will host number nine ranked St. Mary's of Stockton in a Sac Joaquin section D1 game. Back in the CCS, number four, Sarah will host number seven, Bellarmine. Going back north, Jesuit. Ranked number six, hosting number 10, Folsom, with quarterback. Central Catholic of Modesto hosts Antelope, who has cracked the NorCal rankings for uh, sports stars. And we're going to wrap it up with a with some town business in a town that I will spend some time in this weekend. It is Elk Grove hosting Monterey Trail in a, if I'm not mistaken, number six seed versus number seven seed game. Take that, seedings. Um, so... With that, those are the games. Good luck. God be with you. Uh, you're up first. I just realized that this is hilarious. You gave me a chance to to talk about a one seed in trouble, and and here I'm probably, I'm gonna pick against one. <laughs> I I didn't even think to name that one. So let's start here. So the Valley Oak League still has four teams alive throughout the section playoffs, and that should make me feel pretty confident in backing the league's champion, the Central Catholic Raiders. But Quran Borders is the truth at tailback for Antelope. And more importantly, the Titans learned last week that they can still win when good teams are able to bottle up the sack walking sections leading runner. 
Whitney held borders to just 52 yards on 19 carries last week, daring Antelope to beat them another way. And guess what? The Titans put up more than 280 yards passing, 245 from quarterback Josiah Bateman, who threw for two scores and no picks. Shout out to Demarion Williams, too, who caught five passes for 195 yards and two scores. That, plus the fact that Central Catholic looked a little shaky in its narrow win over Lodi, and I'm feeling spicy. So I'm going to roll the dice on an upset here. Next week, one of us will be saying, remember the Titans in celebration or in outright mocking tones. I will take Antelope. This is fantastic. <laughs> I have When we set up these picks, I have an order that I'm going to go in. I am going to change the order to come directly at you. I am staying in the San Joaquin section Let's for this it. game. And as I referenced earlier, I have facts. So Antelope's coming in with the spotless record. 10-0, 20-14 win over Whitney last week. You said it. And they pulled out. They had to pull out the wrinkle offensively. Bateman went for about 250 through the air. But let me point out, this is the first time all year he's even gone over 200 yards in a game through the air. So usually Mr. Borders, as you said, is the engine for Antelope. The dude, the dude has over 2,000 yards on the ground this year, okay? That's serious. That's some serious cheats. Now, on the other side, you know what you're getting with Central Catholic. The Raiders have rushed for 3,027 yards as a team in 11 games this year compared to 1,300 in the air. Aiden Taylor is leading the way on the ground, and apparently, can you confirm this? He's known as Pony Boy. <laughs> I can confirm is, that, but he that's is known, fantastic if it is. His max prep profile says Pony Boy Taylor. <laughs> that's tremendous. So the key for me in this one is whether or not Antelope can use borders to keep the ball, because if they don't, Central Catholic is going to grind away and never give it back. Central Catholic is young under center. Tyler Wentworth is just a sophomore, and this is a big stage. But let me prepare you for the pun of the week. The Raiders ride Pony Boy to victory. <laughs> Boom. That just happened. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, let's get let's stay in the weeds here because we do know a fair amount about these teams at this point, and I am going to talk number three, Rockland, against number nine, St. Mary's of Stockton in the SJS D D1 semi. I am on record as a fan of St. Mary's and a 29-23 win over Edson last week. The Rams proved once again that they are always there for me when I need them. <laughs> now, let's break down the numbers. According to Max Preps, Cruz Herrera logged six carries for negative 26 yards against Edison. Meanwhile, Jaden Marshall had 10 carries for 132 yards, but he doesn't show a reception in the game. What does this tell us? It tells us that Edison was able to heat up the quarterback and take away the pass game to some degree, because I'm going to wager a guess Herrera doesn't have negative 26 yards without some sacks. So, Let's look at Rockland's 42 to nothing win over Sheldon of Sacramento last week. The Thunder racked up seven sacks, including two by junior Caleb Larson and two by another junior. And you got to check out, you got to go with me on this name. Tom Sakinski. Tom Sakinski had two sacks. The sack man. You just can't make this up. <laughs> this is my deep dive way of saying if St. Mary's is having trouble protecting the quarterback, it shouldn't want to face Rockland this week. Give me the thunder. That's my lock for the week. That is a, that's a strong choice. I, I, I can't say that. I don't, I, I can't say I disagree with you. 
but in the Philly Gap on the spot, I was thinking that they, you know, St. Mary's is good. So I was just they are. saying they're in trouble. I didn't say they're going to lose. All right. But we'll, we'll go with my, we'll, we'll do my lock now. And I have the utmost respect for Coach Vic Galley and his Pittsburgh team. But if you're looking for locks on this board, you'd be pretty foolish not to take the team that's won 28 consecutive section titles. Am I right? I'll be there, though, and I hope we get a close game. And hopefully the Pittsburgh coaches who listen to this show, and I know there are a few, can forgive me on this one. But I've got to put my lock on the Spartans. <laughs> I'm all for them kicking you. I've got to walk their sideline, too, because it is so on Owens and all media walks the visitors' sideline. So, yeah, I'm taking my life in my own hands. All right. Uh, I'll finish up with the West Catholic Athletic League rematch on Saturday in San Mateo. The revival of Bellarmine has been one of my favorite stories from this season, and that one over Los Gatos last Friday was epic. But I'm not sure how they make up the 34 points that the Padres beat them by the last time around. However, that was the game that Hassan Mahasan went down, and Sarah hasn't beaten anyone by that wide of margin since. So this game should definitely be closer. But I still think the Padres take it, and they'll, they'll be my last pick of the week. Uh, I'm following you down that path, and I will note at this point that no, I am not picking the game at Owen Owens Field, and it's not because I may also make an appearance there. It's because I'm not a hundred percent in on De La Salle this week. I, I mean, I think it's going to be a better game than than past incarnations. Let's just say that. So I'll go to bed to the. Uh, West Catholic Athletic League rematch, just as you did. Um, I'm going to start with the Bells because I echo everything you've said. I've seen them in person. I was impressed when I saw them. I've been impressed all year with the coach, with the job that Coach Beachman is doing. The We've talked about the pick six by Thomas DiVittoria that provided the final score last week. Um, I uh, deep dive into their numbers for last week. Bellerman recorded five sacks, two from senior Brody Strats and they forced two turnovers. And that last stat is an important one and one that I wanted to bring up because remember last week, we wondered how Sarah would respond after its tough loss to St. Francis. Well, if you're going by turnovers, not well. Um, the Padres turned the ball over five times against Valley Christian. And on most occasions, I would read that stat and figure a team for a lopsided loss, not Sarah. Dominique Lampkin shook off the turnovers to account for five touchdowns. And the Padres found a way in another West Catholic Athletic League rematch. The best teams find a way, and Sarah continues to find a way. Give me Sarah to do its part to set up yet another West Catholic League rematch the following week. Very good. So who is giving quick picks first this week? I think it's me? you. Yeah, yeah it's, it's me. All right. Let's take a dive into the Central Coast section Division Four bracket and revisit a team that burned you a few weeks ago. I'm talking about the Mighty Gators of Sacred Heart Prep Atherton. Mm -hmm. With a three and seven record, they were given the number three seed in the field and promptly won their opener 42 to nothing over Alisal of Salinas. Now they traveled to Hillsdale of San Mateo, a team that beat them 20 to 13 in late September. Can the Gators turn the tables on the number two seeded Knights this time around, or does Hillsdale get his 10th win of the season and march into the final? This is the time of year for Sacred Heart Prep, right? This is their time of year. We always see them at this time of year. They get into their division and they make noise. So I, I banked on them once earlier this year and they let me down. I'm going to bank on them again. And let's see. Let's see how it goes this time. Gator pride. They only have to turn around a seven point loss. So, I mean, it's there, it's there for the taking. I think they can do it for sure. Yeah. That's an All upset right. pick. Upset. <laughs> 
All right. I grew up on rural small school football, so I can't resist heading to the southern end of the Sac Joaquin section for a Division 5 matchup that's a Trans Valley League rematch. Ripping high, which you've picked in this segment before because you can identify it from Highway 99. It travels to Escalon. The host Cougars are the top seed in the field, while the Indians are number four. The first meeting was a 21-7 home win for Escalon. In a somewhat eerie coincidence, Ripon has scored exactly 39 points in each of his last two games, and Escalon scored 39 in its win over Woodland last week. I don't know what any of that means, but I'm guessing a conspiracy group called the 39ers are going to blast you for whatever team you choose. So pick wisely. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm going to be scared of the number 39. I'm going to have nightmares now. Yes. Uh, no, Escalon. Give me Escalon. Escalon. Always Escalon at this time of year. He's got right? one visiting team, one home team, fans. All right, here we go. Like you did last week, I'm hitting all of my food groups this week. North Coast section time. And let's get back to the big boys. It's the Division One semifinal and a rematch of an East Bay Athletic League contest uh... decided by one point last time. Cal won 19-18 on a touchdown pass with less than 30 seconds to go. That game was in San Ramon, and this one will be in Concord. The Ugly Eagles' only loss since then came against De La Salle. The winner will likely get a shot at Pittsburgh next week. Who will it be? Oh, man, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming, and it doesn't make any make it any easier. <laughs> I, I was really impressed with how Cal adjusted last week against Monta Vista, but I am equally and possibly more impressed with how Clayton Valley Charter has gotten better as the season has gone along. This game is at Clayton Valley. You know they are going to pack the stands on uh friday night it's gonna be a real good one give me the uglies all right it's not gonna be as weird this week but uh we're, we're gonna go in a little bit i started last week with a mascot matchup and i'm going to start again with zoology last time around you correctly assessed the ability of a buffalo to outmuscle a dragon and manteca took down sack high 54 to 14 I will also point out that I spotlighted Thor last week and Blake Nicholson had 204 yards and four touchdowns on the ground. Now, while you thrived in the mystical realm last week, I'm curious where you rank a fighting zebra in the animal kingdom hierarchy. Lincoln is enjoying one heck of a season and in a 28-21 win over Christian Brothers last week, Ryan Henning ran for 217 yards on a whopping 30 carries. Tote the rock, big fella. You, you already know what a buffalo is capable of. So to help you make a decision, I will now quote discoverwildlife.com. Quote, zebras have very different temperaments to horses. They're far more aggressive and a lot more dangerous. Zebras have been known to kick each other to death. They will viciously bite any human that comes too close. And there are even many accounts of zebras killing lions. All that to say Manteca or Lincoln. Who you got? Wow, I am man. Even though I picked against the uh, the leech, the the Valley Oak League league champion in our picks earlier, I still think I'm going to side with the VOL on this one. I'm going against the fighting zebras, and I'll take the buffaloes once again. Well, for this next one, we are going to jump back on the rematch train. I didn't want to give this away when you were asking me, and we're going to see if you are willing to quibble. With the Cal Preps, Hal 9000, Dot Matrix, Epson Stylus, Texas Instruments, Sony Walkman with custom Skullcandy earbuds, computer projections. 
The computer says that Clayton Valley Charter, which lost to Cal High 1918 in San Ramon in early October, is going to turn the tables with a 31-28 win in Concord. We've talked about this game. Uh, I don't need to belabor the point, except to say Eagles can fly and Grizzlies can roar, but are you willing to pop in the favorite cassette tape single in my possession, Warren G's Regulators, and roll with the Walkman-toting computer? I do think Clayton Valley is going to get revenge in this game. I think they've been holding on to this one for a while. I like Cal a lot. I think Coach Cal Cagno's done a fantastic job this year. And I would love to see this game be as close as, as uh, the HAL 9000 uh, dot matrix printer, Texas Instrument Calculator, Sony Walkman uh, projects it to be. So hopefully it's a good game. I do think it's going to go, I think it's going to, it's going to turn ugly. It's going to be ugly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You should have seen this coming. So let's see. <laughs> Jesus. Let's finish this thing up by giving you a chance to prove your Northern section knowledge yet again. And let me ask you first, the biggest question that I came up with during this whole process, why the heck is there no division one in the Northern section? Because <laughs> I know their place. I think there are actually no schools that are big enough to be division one anywhere else, I think. And so they, they just know that they're going to advance whoever they advance to division two and CIF. So they just make it division two. How's that for a competitive equity bracketing principle? Yeah. Just right. throw out D1. <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, we are locking in on division two. It is an Eastern League showdown turned semifinal throwdown when Foothill Palisadro visits Pleasant Valley of Chico. No real need to play the common opponent game here. When the two met on October 29th, Pleasant Valley won 48-28. Pleasant Valley also ran the table in league while Foothill dropped a game against Chico as well. Been a rough couple of weeks for Pleasant Valley's most famous alum. I'll say that. <laughs> but that hasn't stopped the Vikings from ruling their northern section kingdom. The HAL 9000 brought to you by AOL Instant Messenger has this a close one with Pleasant Valley winning by a point. Who you got? Calfrost, it really only has it by a point? That's correct. That's silly. They didn't Pleasant Valley beat him by 20 the first time? That's correct. And now it's only a point. 28-27. <laughs> okay. If, you, if you're looking at scores and you're looking at recent, um, recent trends and who's playing well, I don't think there's a team that's playing any better than Pleasant Valley in the northern section right now. So give me the Vikings. All right. Fair enough. All right. Well, um, always – Always a fun finish to the show, that's for sure. And that will wrap up another week of 7 Friday Night. We want to send out a final thank you to De La Salle head coach Justin Allenbaugh and to Coach Terry Edson for continuing to join us each week. 7 Friday Night is available on several platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. If you listen to shows on one of those platforms, search for 7 Friday Night and please rate and subscribe. We build 7 Friday Night using Anchor, you can leave us a voice message by visiting anchor.fm slash the number seven Friday night. Each of our episodes also get their own dedicated page on Sports Stars Magazine's web home, sportsstarsmag.com. You can stream the episode there, find links to the various other platforms, and check out a variety of bonus items that we tend to include. Also, be sure to follow the magazine on Twitter at sportsstarsmag and our new podcast Twitter home, of sport stars pods 
And if you want to follow either Ben or myself on Twitter, you'll find us tagged on either of those accounts quite often. Design and photography for our cover art was by yours truly. Our theme music was produced by Dustin Phillips, who performs in multiple bands in the Sacramento area, including an awesome cover band called Popular Demand. Look them up on Facebook or on their website, sacramentocoverband.com. Let's hear some final thoughts, Ben. Final thoughts. Well, uh, breaking news in my own life. I'll be on a sideline this weekend. America, rest easy. <laughs> I'm fired up for that. There was a chance I wouldn't, but I will be. Everywhere you look, there's a good matchup this weekend. Like I've referenced and you've referenced previously, I'm really curious to see how that D2 semi and the NCS between Campo and SRV turns out. I'm also low-key curious to see how Pittsburgh fares against its arch nemesis. I think they're pretty good. Um, not calling a, an outcome by any mean, but I think they're going to account themselves well. In Sacramento, there are great games everywhere. None more intriguing to me than Folsom and Jesuit. Man, we didn't hardly spend any time on that this week. And uh, you asked me for picks earlier today, and I, I, I reluctantly made a pick before I asked you who you were going to pick. And I, we may be on opposite ends there, and it's because it's such a good game. Um, you know, Monterey Trail, Elk Grove, uh, can I interest you in that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or any of the 400 other great matchups, um, you know, buy a ticket to Menlo Atherton, St. Francis or Bellarmine, Sarah, you won't be, you won't walk away mad about that. It's just really fun to be doing this this time of year. Um, but with all that going on, I want to end it in the only way I know how, and I don't apologize to our South Bay fans one bit because at 4 PM on Saturday, it's the 124th installment of the big game at Stanford stadium. It's been a long year in blue and gold, but the one thing that can always make things better is bringing the ax back to Berkeley. So go bears beat Stanford. Let's get this thing done. I will let you have the last word on that. That was solid. We will head out. Everybody enjoy the games. We'll see you next week. Sports fans. Laters. Let's roll, boys. <laughs> <laughs>